This is a story that we're going to look at this morning as we continue our study of the book of John. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one. We're going to dig into a big, long story this morning. So if you do not have a Bible with you, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use to follow along with us um, as we dig into the Word again this morning. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles right now and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive and take it with you. And dig in day after day after day to what God has for you there. All right, let's do a quick review before we get into this big story. Uh, We've been studying together a book of the Bible called John. It's just one of 66 books in the Bible. It was written by John, one of the men who traveled with Jesus while he carried out his mission here on earth. And the book of John is about Jesus. It's not about John, it's about Jesus. This is one of four books in the Bible that give an account of what Jesus did during his time on this planet. So what have we seen of Jesus so far in the book of John? Well, we've seen John introduce Jesus. He refers to him as the Word, the Word of God. He refers to him as the Son of God, as the life, as the light, as someone who is full of grace and truth and more. We've seen another John, John the Baptist, interact with Jesus. He called Jesus the Lamb of God because he would be God's sacrifice for all of us. He made it clear that he had come to let the world know that God's Son had come and that we should be ready for him. He baptized Jesus. We're going to have baptisms today following the service at Schultz Lake. We've seen Jesus receive God's spirit into himself. This was an indication that his mission was now beginning. We've seen Jesus invite others into his mission, like Andrew and Peter and the mystery guy that he mentions, and Philip and Nathaniel. We've seen Jesus go to a wedding where he turns six jugs of water into high-quality wine as an act of compassion for the groom and his family. And he shows us here that he himself is the bridegroom for his church, for his people. Jesus shows us his creative power, his compassion, his supernatural abilities, proving that he was something special. We've seen Jesus go to the temple in Jerusalem. His passion for God's temple, where God's spirit actually dwelled, consumed him and he purged the temple forcefully of the things that were corrupting that holy place. Jesus stayed in Jerusalem for a while then and many people were drawn to him during that time. While he was there one evening, a man named Nicodemus came to talk to Jesus. Their conversation was epic, and it included the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. We're going to talk about Nicodemus this morning in the context of comparing him to a woman that Jesus encountered in the story that we're going to look at. Finally, last week, we looked at an encounter with John the Baptist again. John was an incredible man. He had such clear perspective when it came to his role and Jesus' role and the, the, the way that he put the two of them together. The words that I wanted you to take with you last week were, he must increase, but I must decrease. And I pray that this becomes my perspective and that we all share this kind of humility when it comes to us and Jesus. So that's where we're at in the book of John. We've covered three very rich chapters. And this morning we move into chapter four. So let's turn there now. John chapter four. The message that I have for you this morning is part one of two. We're going to look at this story again next Sunday, but from a very different perspective. Um, This week we'll cover some of the background and context of this story. Next week I have a message that addresses the heart of this story. Um, And remember that next Sunday 
is an outdoor service, and right now the weather looks perfect on that day, but this is Minnesota. Next week is also an Invitation Sunday. It's Invitation Sunday. Take a step of courage and invite somebody that you know to come with you to church on Sunday. They will enjoy the outdoor setting. It's a great way to do church. And my message is going to be about some of the empty things that we pursue in this world and how Jesus invites us to accept the living water that only he can give. And he talks about that in the story that we're going to look at today. And I will do my very best to connect with people where they're at and point them to Jesus. So bring somebody next week, church. All right, let's spend some time with our story. And then at the end of the service, we're going to hear about another story from one of those who's going to be baptized today. John chapter 4 verse 1. John 4, verse 1, and we're going to read the first 45 verses of this chapter, all right? So settle in. John writes this, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left for Judea and departed again for Galilee. This takes us back to what we looked at last week, with the difference between Jesus and his disciples baptizing and John baptizing. There, were, there was that little bit of a, of a conflict, tension going on. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sucker. And please don't laugh when I say this word. That's, I looked it up. That's how it's pronounced. Not Sychar as it looks. It's pronounced Sucker. Okay? So deal with it. See, you're giggling. Grow up. <clears throat> So he came to a town of Samaria called Sucker, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman... It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. All right, let's dig into this. Jesus decided that he and his followers would leave Judea and that they'd head somewhere else. The religious leaders didn't trust him, and they were there. And as we saw last week, there was a bit of a rivalry developing. John the Baptist was still teaching and baptizing, and Jesus was teaching while his disciples were baptizing. And so they move on, because I don't think Jesus wanted this rivalry to build. It wasn't John and Jesus that were having creating this rivalry. It was others And that wasn't what he was about. People were misunderstanding what was going on. And so Jesus took his disciples and they moved on. They headed for Galilee. And on the way, they had to pass through the region of Samaria. Verse 4 says that he had to pass through Samaria. And we'll see that there was some tension around this, but maybe not as much as we may think. The road through Samaria was the fastest route. It was the easiest, most direct way for them to go, and many Jews did use that route to travel. There were some who thought that they would be defiled by passing through Samaritan territory, but only those who were strictly legalistically religious did this. For everyone else, it was a common path to take. So Jesus traveled it with his disciples. The town of Succor is mentioned, and I won't get into the details of its location this morning, but look it up sometime. Um, The significance of this place is that Jacob's well was located there. And there's some great history there. So let me quote a reference that I looked at. And it was written by John MacArthur. And here's what he wrote. 
Um, Sukkur, a town in the district of Samaria, was near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. When he returned to the land of Canaan after 20 years in Haran, and this comes from Genesis 27 and 31. That's how far back we're going to find the significance of this place. When he returned to the land of Canaan after 20 years in Haran, Jacob bought a piece of land near the Old Testament city of Shechem. That's mentioned in Genesis 33, not far from Succor. Then, shortly before his death, Jacob bequeathed that property property to his son Joseph. This happened in Genesis 48. Many years later, Joseph was buried there after Israel conquered the land under Joshua. You'll find that in Joshua 24. It was a familiar and important site to both Jews and Samaritans. Lots of history in this place, a very significant place. This is where Jesus and his disciples took a break on their journey. And our story has Jesus there at about noon that day. That's the first six verses of John chapter 4. So then, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. And there are a few goofy things happening here. First of all, it's midday. That's not when women came to draw water. It was hot at midday. You didn't do that. This was something that they did in the cool of the evening. Women went out to draw water for their families from the well. This woman came, may have come at midday to avoid the social interaction that would take place in the evenings. She had obviously lived a tough life relationally. You can see that in the story. We'll talk more about that next week. Maybe she was avoiding the scrutiny of other people from her town and went out on her own at that time to get away from that. Secondly, there's the question of the location of this particular well. And according to some of the archaeological data, there were closer water sources to her town. This was not that convenient. This was at least a quarter mile, maybe a half mile from her town. Why would she go so far? Again, possibly to avoid the public eye. But based on some of what she said herself about the well, maybe she chose this site because it was significant to her and her people. This was Jacob's well. Maybe that's why she went there. So she arrives to get water, and there's Jesus waiting for his disciples to return. They had gone to town to get food. He had stayed to rest or possibly to avoid creating a scene in town or more likely... He had stayed because he had an appointment to keep. He knew that she'd be there. He had planned this. Jesus had been preparing to meet her, and what an amazing interaction it was going to be. Their conversation starts with a simple request. He was thirsty. She had a water jug to draw water with. He did not, so he asks for a drink. And her reaction gives us a lot of information. She's surprised. You're asking me, why me? She recognized two things about him. He was a man, and we'll get to more on that in just a minute, and he was a Jew. And the fact that he was talking to a woman was a big enough issue to surprise her. Um, Later, when the disciples returned, we can see that their issue was that he was talking to a woman. Many Jewish men at that time would not even speak to their own wives in public, let alone a stranger. And secondly, she was surprised that he, a Jew, was talking to her, a Samaritan. She said it herself. What she understood of Jews was that they had no dealings with Samaritans. And that phrase is, is fascinating. It literally means no dealing with Samaritans. literally means Jews would never share utensils with Samaritans. 
No Jew would drink from a Samaritan's water jug, let alone a Samaritan woman's water jug. Jesus was breaking all kinds of religious and cultural rules here, but he wasn't breaking any of God's rules. In fact, he was living out God's will at that moment. More on that later. What happened to create this animosity between Jews and Samaritans? This was hundreds of years old. This goes way back. Hundreds of years before, Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. In 722 BC, the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom. And some of the Jews who lived in that kingdom were deported to the south. Some stayed. Those who stayed mixed cultures with the Assyrians. They married Assyrians. They shared space with Assyrian religions. And the Jews in the south then started to look on their Jewish relatives to the north with disgust, claiming that they had compromised and they were no longer being true to their heritage. They were now unclean. And the Samaritans reacted with animosity of their own, and the tension grew throughout their history. They weren't fond of each other at all. And so this interaction was a big deal. The two of them talked about water. Um, Jesus introduced her right away to the water that he offered. Not physical water, but living water. And she got stuck in the concrete physical world. Totally understandable. Where does this water come from? What well do you have? How can your well be more significant than Jacob's well? Legitimate questions in in the physical sense. But Jesus wasn't talking about physical water. He was setting her up to see who he was. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus' water, about the living water. She wanted that water, but she didn't understand what he was offering yet. Now Jesus turns the conversation in verse 16 to a very personal level. He reveals that he knows her. He's never met her, but he knows her. He created her. So he asks about her husband, and he already knows the answer. But he's drawing her close. They talk about the fact that she has had five husbands. And this woman begins to freely open up to Jesus. Now, at this point, make sure that you see this. Make sure that you see something very powerful that Jesus demonstrates here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not reject this Samaritan woman who has failed, who has had failed relationship after failed relationship. He does not reject her. He accepts her. He knows her inside and out. And he loves her perfectly. They talk about their history, Jews and Samaritans. She makes a comment about where they differ on places of worship. Uh, The Samaritans believe that God's presence was still on nearby Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans only accepted the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, as Scripture. That was it for them. Nothing else was considered scripture. In Deuteronomy, part of the Pentateuch, God had instructed his people to worship him there on Mount Gerizim. But the Jews accepted the whole Old Testament as scripture. And after the Pentateuch, God had instructed his people to worship him in Jerusalem in the temple. Jesus introduced her to God's new covenant where neither of these places were the location of God's presence any longer. People would now worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And Jesus here spoke of us. His spirit would be in us, in his adopted children. Therefore, we would worship God everywhere, wherever his spirit dwelled, in us. And he would write his truth on the hearts of his people. Uh, Michael Card, an author that I've been following through this series, expressed this statement this way. He said, Spirit is not bound to one location, and truth is not limited to one people group or one denomination. Jesus is introducing her to God's new covenant with his people. She lets Jesus know that she and her people have been waiting for the Messiah, for the Savior that God had promised so long ago. And you have to wonder just how much anticipation, how much excitement was in her voice when she spoke of this. And Jesus simply responds with, I who speak to you am he. And more accurately, he says, I who speak to you am. This is one of Jesus' powerful I am statements. He declares what only God can declare. More on that another time. So verse 27 now. Jesus' disciples return with food. The Samaritan woman takes off her town to tell people about what was happening, about what had, the conversation she had just had with Jesus. She had to tell someone. The disciples were concerned that Jesus refreshes himself with food. And Jesus responds with another abstract lesson. He had been refreshed. He was refreshed because he had done what his father wanted him to do. His mission was his refreshment. And we'll talk more about the food as well next week. Jesus teaches his disciples about the harvest that was ready. They would learn that he had just demonstrated for them what it meant to reap the harvest and how they were going to be part of bringing in God's spiritual harvest. The prophets had planted the seeds. They would reap the harvest. In that Samaritan town, many became followers of Jesus and they were some of the very first people to receive the gift that Jesus offered Jesus stayed for a couple days and he taught them about God's love for them. He taught them of their need to be born again. He taught them of God's love and grace and forgiveness and they responded. Their lives were changed forever. So we wrap up our study this morning. I want us to see something very clearly here. This is very encouraging and very hopeful. I want us to see beyond this story to the story of Nicodemus that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. I want us to see these two characters, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. Think about these two. This is how Jesus started his mission. This is how his ministry began. Two very different interactions with two very different people, but the same loving result. Nicodemus was a devoutly religious Jew. The woman in our story was an immoral Samaritan. Nicodemus was an educated theologian. The Samaritan woman was an uneducated peasant. Nicodemus recognized Jesus as a teacher sent by God before he met him. The Samaritan woman had no clue who he was when they met. Nicodemus was wealthy. The Samaritan woman was poor. Nicodemus came from the social elite the Samaritan woman came from the dregs of society. And Jesus loved both of them the same. 
the same. He didn't treat them differently. He didn't value them on a scale. They were both created in his image, and he loved them both unconditionally and completely. And they both needed him, both of them. Jesus' love was accepted and rejected by representatives from all ethnicities, all social classes, male and female, young and old. Jews rejected him. Samaritans rejected him. Yet he loved them all, and he loved them all the same. Does that say anything to you about who Jesus is? It does to me. Jesus' love for me is perfect. His love for you is perfect. And in this room, we we represent all kinds of people, young and old, rich and poor. You'd be amazed at the variety of the people that are sitting around you right now. Absolutely amazed at the different backgrounds that we come from. And Jesus loves every single one of us just the same. With that same love, with that same unconditional, boundless, perfect love. Every one of us. There were no chance meetings with Jesus. Very intentionally, he spent time with a religious ruler. Very intentionally, he spent time with a Samaritan woman. Not coincidence. This is how Jesus started. No one would be beyond the reach of his love and acceptance. No one. And throughout history, Jesus has poured out his love on all kinds of people. From all kinds of backgrounds, no matter what. This is our Jesus, our Savior, our friend. This is how he operated. This is his heart. This is Jesus' love. This is his amazing grace. This is his reckless love that we sang about. This is who we're celebrating as we study the book of John together. Do you know how much he loves you? Consider his love for you. Following the service, there are going to be four people that get baptized down at at Schultz Lake Park. Um, That's just a couple miles east of here on Cliff Road. Please come and witness what God's doing in their lives. Um, You may know um, one of our piano players, Matt Hagland. His wife, Debbie Hagland, and her two daughters, her two grown daughters, are going to be baptized today. We're super excited about that. Uh, we'll see her down there. She's um, going through chemo treatment these days. And um, I'm excited to see this take place. And she's going to share a bit of her story. Her daughters are as well down at the lake today. And Don Dickey is going to be baptized as well. Don wrote her story out. And um, I have the privilege of, of sharing that with you right now. So I want to read for you as we close um, Don's story and why God has brought her to this point today. And I'm excited to do this. And I'm not going to look at you. Or this is going to go south real fast. All right, from Don. As many of you know, I grew up in Platteville, Wisconsin, and have always been a diehard Packer fan. Um, see, Jesus does love, does love all kinds of people, doesn't he? <laughs> I had four sisters and one brother. Our childhood was crazy fun. We raised several baby skunks and raccoons that were abandoned and released them back into the wild. 
We were all raised United Methodists. My dad had stepped on a landmine in the Korean War just before marrying my mom, and so his health was always an issue. He had a quadruple bypass in 1979, and it took a couple of hours to get his heart restarted. My faith was still intact. Three years later, at the age of 14, I lost my mom to cancer. Two years later, my brother Danny was diagnosed with leukemia and died in his sleep one week later, leaving behind a wife and three beautiful little children. At this point, I was beginning to question my faith. I went on to college to become an elementary school teacher, graduating magna cum laude from St. Cloud State University. I got married to Brian, who came from a family of 14 children. So I converted to Catholic. Brian wanted a child of his own, and I was not able to bear children. After nine years, we chose to end our marriage, and I removed myself from the Catholic Church. I had never felt like I fit in there. I ended up meeting Danny Sappington and spent 21 years with him. That is when I learned how to camp, fish, hunt, work on cars, and ride my Harley Davidson. With my shooting skills, I now have a bear rug, a Barbarossa ram head mount from the ranch that Ted Nugent hunts at, and mule deer antler mounts, just to name a few. Our time together was wonderful, but he was called home in October of 2010 after struggling with several health issues that included cancer. In 2009, my sister Dinah got breast and ovarian cancer at the age of 50. My older sister Deb had already gone through and beat breast cancer in her 30s. I have two nieces that both went through breast cancer treatment last year, so I cringe at that C word. In 2011, my sister Dinah's son Spencer was murdered out in South Dakota. I'm sure her faith was being tested. In 2013, my dad passed away. Struggling and confused, a very close friend and co-worker at Ecolab, Brian Leafblad, a.k.a. Leafer, who is also a Green Bay Packer fan, <laughs> invited me to his family's Evangelical Covenant Church. I loved their church, but spiritually I wasn't in the right place in my life at that point, and I stopped attending any church. In February of 2016, my sister Dinah's youngest daughter, Cammie, died of a heroin overdose. Does it ever end, I'm thinking. I needed to make some changes in my life. I bought a townhouse in Rosemount in April of that year. I thought life was taking a positive turn, but just five months later, I made a life-changing poor decision and got a DUI. No one was hurt, thank goodness. One month later, I received the call that you never want to get. My sisters, Linda and Con, called to tell me that Dinah had taken her own life. Needless to say, depression was setting in. I couldn't drive for a couple of months before the blower was installed on my edge for one year. During that time, another very close and special friend from Ecolab, John Bolduke, who, by the way, used to live in Green Bay, Wisconsin, <laughs> drove me to work and home. One Friday, he asked if I wanted to go and watch his fight practice on Sunday late afternoon. It sounded like fun, so of course I wanted to. He said, what are you doing Sunday morning? Why don't you come to Chapel Hill with me, with Tori and me? This is when my life began to change. I had been carrying years of baggage that was making my heart heavy. The loss of so many people that I love, financial struggles, my roller coaster of emotions, 
It was a lot to try and get a handle on and see any light at the end of the tunnel. I have been coming to Chapel Hill now for heading on two years. I have met so many wonderful people here and done fun activities outside of church with a few of them, like long walks, lunches, and craft fairs. I now look forward to Sundays. My perspective on life has been completely changed. The McVities in Chapel Hill have been more than a blessing to me. I can honestly say that Pastor Paul was greatly instrumental in opening my heart and mind to what I'd been missing for so many years, my faith. I have never attended a church that leaves me thinking all the way home. I take what I learned from sermons and leave here trying to figure out how I can apply some of what I've learned into my own life. I can now work through any troubles that come up with a much better outlook. It is no longer doom and gloom luring around every corner. If you look hard enough, you can always see some light at the end of the tunnel. Pastor Paul has helped me to understand just how important God is and how to allow him in my life. I now get a smile on my face when sharing with others what I learn each week at church. That is why today is the day that I choose to surrender, to increase him, decrease me, and declare my faith with many of you as my witness. If you look up front, I have a good portion of my tribe with me today, which truly touches my heart. And I am truly excited and humbled to be able to share in the baptisms of these individuals today. Um, Please come with us and be a part of this. Right after the service, as soon as we can, we'll head down to Schultz Lake where we'll do these baptisms. I am going to invite the worship team to come up now and close us with a song. While they're coming and getting set, will you pray with me? Father God, I am truly amazed at the love that you have for us and the way that you demonstrated it and spoke of it through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I can't thank you enough for for loving the world, for loving the whole world. can't thank you enough for loving me as an individual, for knowing me, for knowing my mistakes, my screw-ups, for knowing my shortcomings, for knowing my failures, my weakness. Yet you look at me and your love for me is perfect. And I thank you that we can see in the life of Jesus how He demonstrated this love so clearly, how he looked across the spectrum from the very religious to the far from God and saw every single one on the same level, every single one sinners needing a savior. And rather than carry out your judgment on us, you sent us news of your grace your mercy, your love through your son, Jesus Christ. And you spoke so clearly to us and I thank you for the message that you gave Nicodemus about needing to be born again, that he was just headed for death no matter what, no matter how religious he was, he was headed for death. You told him how he needed to be born again. 
And you spoke to the Samaritan woman. And no matter where she was in her life, no matter what her history was, no matter what she was carrying, no matter what she had done, you spoke to her of her need to be born again. And you spoke to both, you spoke to all of us of the perfect love that you have for us. And there was only one who could do that. There was only one who could speak of that love. There was only one who could demonstrate that love perfectly. And that one is Jesus Christ. And what a privilege it is to be able to open the Bible and find him there and dig into the stories of what he did, who he interacted with, and just see all over those stories a perfect demonstration of your holiness and your love and your grace. And the invitation that you offer to us to come and be restored, to come and be adopted, to become your children, your family. Father, today we have the privilege of sharing in the baptisms of these four individuals, and I I can't wait as we watch them go down into the water, symbolizing their death with Jesus Christ, their figurative spiritual death with Jesus Christ, and how they are raised up out of the water with Jesus Christ into new life, washed clean, made holy by you through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. You paid the price. Jesus paid it all. And today we celebrate that. I ask for your blessing today on Debbie and Christy and Katie and on Don, that you would just speak very clearly to them of your love for them and how pleased you are with them. And the eternity that lies ahead of them in your presence. Father, we come now to worship you again as we close our service. Not in Jerusalem, not on Mount Gerizim, but right here because your spirit is here. Because you're here. And you go with us wherever we go. Because as your children, you dwell in us, in our lives. And for those who don't have that today, for those who need to invite you into their lives, And know that you're there and that you forgive them and that you pour out your grace and love on them and you walk with them daily. You just remind them of that today. And I pray that they would call out to you, admitting that they are sinners. They've failed just like every human being has. But accepting the fact that you will receive everything that they bring, anything, no matter what. You receive and accept them just the way they are. And I pray that they would come to you today to receive that acceptance, that forgiveness, that grace, that love. So as we close today, Lord, just remind us of your presence here. We declare that there is no other name, only the name of Jesus Christ, your son, that can bring us life, that can bring us power, that can bring us hope, joy, all that you have to offer us. Meet us here as we worship together. And at the beach, as we baptize and celebrate what you've done for us. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.